This is the continuation on the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 of Matthew, beginning this morning in verse 27. Jesus says, But you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that any man who looks at another woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. It is better for you not to have your whole body than to have your whole body and go into hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you not to have your whole body than with your whole body be thrown into hell. You have heard it said that any man who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that any man who divorces his wife uh, for any reason other than sexual immorality will make his wife an adulteress. And any man who marries a divorced woman makes, will have committed adultery. You've heard it said, fulfill your vows before the Lord. But I say to you, uh, do not swear an oath. Not by the heavens above, for that is God's throne, nor by the earth below, for that is God's footstool, nor by the city Jerusalem, for that is the great city of the king. And do not swear by your head, because you cannot even make one hair black or white. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Monday was a big day at our house. It was probably at your house as well. It was large trash pickup day. And uh, so all of our neighbors had all sorts of stuff to put out. We put out an old grill. Now, the grill was still serviceable, but it had seen better days. We put it out Sunday night. And then when my wife was on her way to the hospital to work uh, early Monday morning, she noticed someone picking up our grill and putting it in their truck and driving off. And we weren't bothered by that a bit because that's part of the deal. That's the understanding. If you put it on the curb, it's available for anyone who wants to come by and get it. And I have to tell you, we simply didn't consult the grill. We didn't ask the grill if the grill was okay with being set out on the front curb. And we didn't even check to see if the grill was okay with the possibility that the grill might end up at somebody else's house. I mean, after all, it's a grill. We know the way it works. When we've had enough of the grill or we find a better, more powerful grill for Father's Day, then we go and set the grill on the curb, and we've done what was expected of us. You know, it would be a shame if people were treated like grills, wouldn't it? It would be a shame if people were just treated like objects. It would be a shame if people were just set aside because they were no longer as convenient or useful or as attractive as they used to be. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount this morning, comes to talk about two topics, lust and divorce. And when you get down underneath the surface of these two topics, you find that actually, in my mind, they are related. Both of them have to do with treating people like grills. Treating people like objects that are just to be used and then dismissed if they are no longer deemed of service. This morning we come to a very uh, profound part of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus first addresses the topic of lust. And Jesus knows this is a problem. Do you remember last week we talked about anger? And one of the problems with anger is it might lead to hurtful words, which might lead to hurtful actions. And so rabbis like Jesus spoke against the first step, which would be anger. 
Well, here again, part of the problem with lust is that it might lead to adultery. And I have to tell you that in Jesus' mind and in the mind of the Jews, there's nothing worse than adultery. There were three things that the rabbis taught that you would be better off dead before you do these three things. In fact, if you have a choice, die before you do them. One is to murder another person. A second one is to commit idolatry, to worship a false god. The third one is to commit adultery. You would be better off, the rabbi said, dying before you would commit adultery. Adultery, of course, not only breaks uh, one of the Ten Commandments, but it has the added um, uh, virtue, I guess, or fault, that it hauls in four other broken commandments with it. Typically, if a man's going to commit adultery, probably what's been going on there is coveting. What's probably been going there at some stage is lying about it, false witness. At some stage, it's stealing what was in relationship with someone else. And also, it involves death or murder of another family, another relationship. Because families are injured in adultery, and not just in that generation, but actually the price seems to be paid for generations to come. And Moses, and Jesus agrees with him, would simply say, don't go there. Even Aristotle the pagan says that adultery is simply wrong, and every society knows it. And so... Jesus wanting to stop people on the road there because he sees it and paints it just like the Proverbs do as a, as a roll to hell on earth, stops and he stops with the lusting of the eyes and wants to stop it at that point. But if you remember last week, that one of the things that Jesus seemed to indicate is it's not, anger is not just a problem because it might lead to murder, but angry words are just a problem in and of themselves. And so in the same way, Jesus indicates that lust is a problem in and of itself. Dallas Willard has a very interesting discussion of lust in in his book, um, Divine Conspiracy. But one of the things he notices about uh, lust that characterizes it is that lust seems to say that if all the barriers were removed, if I could get away with it, nobody would find out, I wouldn't end up losing half my assets, I'd do this. And that's a problem. And then, as we've said, it treats another person just like a grill that you might look at in the department store uh, before Father's Day weekend or Christmas or some other time. It just it treats people as objects. And so Jesus, uh, working against adultery, draws a line at lust. But then he comes to divorce. And one of the things you have to know about divorce in Jesus' day is that it, while regrettable, it was permissible. And Moses permitted divorce in Deuteronomy 24.1. It says that um, if a woman, uh, a wife, because a wife couldn't divorce her husband, uh, or only in rare circumstances, if, if, a, if a woman does something unseemly, that her husband may dismiss her simply with a certificate of divorce. Well, what is unseemly? Well, the rabbinical school of Hillel kind of stretched out and said unseemly can be anything from cooking a bad meal to no longer being pleasing to the eyesight, to just no longer uh, being wanted. And then as long as you wrote the certificate, that was it. And the wife, like the grill, was put out on the curb for the next person. But Shammai, another rabbi near Jesus' day, didn't agree with that. He said that what is unseemly is basically sexual immorality. That's the only grounds. And so you see, Jesus is not throwing out Deuteronomy 24. Jesus is casting his lots with Shammai. And he's saying to the men, you need to be real careful about this thing. 
These are not, these women are not objects to be brought out to the curb. They are valued by God and you should value them as well and you must be very careful. And he uses the word that gets translated in my version today, sexual immorality. You'll recognize the word right away. The word in Greek is porneia. And so scholars still debate as to what porneia might be. Is it strictly sexual immorality or is it anything that is just as terrible as that might be a grounds or an opening? But what Jesus is mainly saying is we don't enter into it uh, uh, lightly at all. And, of course, most people don't. But we must be very careful to protect uh, the woman in this case because divorce in the ancient Near East was basically like an abandonment. It's basically like being put out on the curb for pickup because typically women did not have professions unless of course they had been put out on the curb and then they might go to the oldest profession they depended upon their husband and their sons for support and if they had no sons and they had no husband then they were reduced to begging think of the ancestress of jesus a moabite woman named ruth ruth and naomi are in trouble and why are they in trouble because they have no husband they are reduced to begging to survive divorce is wrong in many ways but for jesus one of the reasons it's it's wrong is it puts a woman in that place it is a sense of abandonment and uh jesus is not going to have anybody treated like a grill Uh, they are going to be treated as persons of full value and then of course in other passages jesus will go on to say and that's the wrong issue anyway what god really wants is to value marriage god doesn't really interested in commenting much about divorce at all god wants to make sure we're putting everything we can into honoring the relationships we do have and so what do you do with this what are we to do with this part of the sermon on the mount it's like last week last week we talked about anger and hurtful words and we said one of the things we can do is try to catch them and put a stop to them Remember we said one of the solutions the monks had was just don't speak, then you won't say anything angry. Well, what are the solutions to lust? Uh, Well, one of them, I guess, is just never open your eyes. There's a group of Pharisees in Jesus' day. They were called bleeding Pharisees. And the reason they received that nickname is because they would walk with their heads down lest they look at a woman and accidentally lust after that woman. So walking with their heads, looking at their feet, they ran into all sorts of stuff. Hence the nickname bleeding Pharisees. But we've got to say, surely there's more to that, like we said last week, than just avoiding things. Uh, Job gave us good advice in Job 31. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes that I wasn't going to look at, 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 uh, he says, at young women. And I think that that's good to a point. We need to be careful that uh, a natural desire uh, uh, is fired within most everybody, and you don't want to pour gasoline on that fire. But there must be more to it than that. And we must also realize, of course, that simply looking and admiring someone is not the same as lusting. Uh, A good uh, definition that um, Dallas Willard uses, he calls cultivated lusting, that you work that over and over in your mind. Just noticing or seeing someone for a moment uh, is not uh, not abnormal, nor is it sinful. I have a good friend that has what he calls a three-second rule, and that is that if, if he looks at a woman for more than three seconds, then he's crossed the line. Um, maybe so, but there's got to be more to it than this. Than just we can't just say Christians are people who avoid angry words and avoid murder, and we can't just say Christians are people who avoid adultery. There must be more to it, and I think Jesus knows that the answer is not really in our eyes. The answer is in our hearts. Jesus said, "I tell you that anyone who looks at another woman lustfully has committed adultery with her in the heart." 
Jesus knows that's the issue. When our hearts are not right, when our relationships are not right with other people, that's when we become very vulnerable. When our relationship's not right with God, then we are, our ship's beginning to take on water. There was a monk uh, four centuries ago trying to teach the other monks how to overcome lust. And one of the things he said is that sort of aberration or perversion of love can only be cast out by a greater love. And what he taught his fellow monks was the more that you love God and truly love other people, then the less uh, that lust becomes an issue in uh, your life. That you fill it with positive, not just try to avoid the negative in, uh, in your life. There was a greater love that was called for. And so sometimes lust indicates that our hearts are just not right. Dallas Willard in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, says here's what happens in the modern world, 21st century America. And that is, he said, we keep pumping the sex button. We keep pressing on it, pressing on it, pressing on it, hoping that a little intimacy will dribble out. And we've got the thing backwards. And it starts with intimacy. And it starts with relationship. And when our relationships are right, when we truly love other people and love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then then those other aberrations find their appropriate place, which is way down in our life. But we all struggle in different areas and relationships. And so it's very helpful for me to learn this. Moses said in Deuteronomy 24.1 that a man, if he finds something unseemly in his, in his wife, may grant her a certificate of divorce. But then he goes on to say, and if she marries another man... And there's divorce there. She may not come back to him. And there's a lot of debate about why, why that rule. Wouldn't it be a good thing for her to go back to her first husband? And scholars divide on this. But one of the um, scholars says something I think is probably on target. He said, when a woman marries a man in Israel, there's a dowry. There's a bride pr- price. That a woman who, who doesn't have a job typically outside the home gets some income. And their family some income from the deal. So if you marry a woman for the first time, even if she's been divorced, there's an exchange. There is, there's value. There's some income. There's some security given. But if you've already married her once the second time around, you're not going to get anything. And you're left like Ruth and Naomi. And if something happens, you're up a creek. And you're begging or you're in prostitution to survive. And God is just saying, we're not going to do that. We're going to protect the worth and the value of women. In fact, we're going to protect the worth and the value of all people. But then he goes on to say this. Um, if, if you look at Deuteronomy 24, God will actually quote that in Jeremiah. And what happens in Jeremiah is the prophet's talking to people who were married to God at Mount Sinai. That's all another story. But the one of the ways to look at Ten Commandments is their marriage vows that God hands out uh, with God's bride, Israel. And, and that's been divorced. Israel ran off. She married somebody else. She married a false god. And God says in Jeremiah, now the rule is this. I don't take you back. That's the rule. It's in Moses. But then God says, but I want to say to you, return to me. I will take you back. And what that teaches me is this. We've all messed up in our relationships. Maybe some with anger, maybe others with lust. But but we've all messed up. And sometimes when I mess up, I just put myself out on the curb. And I figure, well, nobody really wants me. God certainly can't want me. I've I've made too big a mess of this. And what Jeremiah is saying is, wait a minute. 
you are never too big a mess for God to take back. And just as surely as people were patrolling my neighborhood Monday morning looking for things to pick up, so God, always ever alert, looking for us when society has set us out, when our friends have put us out, when our families put us out, or when we just put ourselves out on the curb, God says, I'm here to pick you up.